Hey guys, welcome back. This is Chris Bircher, and this is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. Episode 76, Why Am I? Why am I? Why are you? You know, I've done 25 episodes now on the arc of the R versus should problem, that idea that many humans struggle between trying to resolve the person they feel like they are or that were born to be or that they're, you know, meant to be. Uh, with the person that they feel like they should be, with things like parental and societal pressures of the type of person that we um, are supposed to be or whatever it is that we feel like um, uh, we are supposed to be doing. Now, and to me, this is, creates this cognitive dissonance, right? This creates this struggle. And I'm going to talk a lot about the little bit that I know about Buddhism today, the idea of suffering, and hopefully put a little bit better spin on that and just sort of set the context, because what we're getting ready to do is transition from sort of the what the R versus should problem is, and all the different pieces of that that com- comprise 25 episodes, right? And several episodes even earlier than that, if you go back, a lot of this stuff was leading up to the R versus should problem. Today is going to be a pivot point. We talk about the why. And then starting with episode 77, I'm going to try to organize the hows. The how-to, like how do we go about navigating that? And some of this is going to be things lots of people have done, and it's basically my interpretation of that. Uh, and it, it's probably going to line up well with people that had a similar, back, similar background to me, but we'll talk about that next week. For this week, it's really about your why. And I started thinking about the idea of a why or you know, conceptualizing this when I took a real estate class, like one of these online classes that you pay for, and there's a ton of people in a Zoom meeting and the first thing that they had us do was like, if you want to become a real estate investor, you got to decide why. Why are you doing this? And this is going to become your sort of like um, the thing that you can hold on to in times of, of struggle, right? To remind yourself that you're doing this for a reason. And most of our whys were things like, you know, we want our families to have better lives. We want to be happier and all this stuff. And generally, I think if you boil down the why, depending on what it is that you're doing, it's going to have some sort of resemblance to that. So what I want to do is talk about kind of what that looks like and what the general uh, point is and how you can do this at home. Um, so, th- you know, your why to me, somebody put it best one day when they said, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go sh- kind of s- quickly into values, right? So your values are sort of like a subset of your why. The why is sort of the first step. It's like, who cares? It's sort of like when you're writing a paper, you know, or you're writing a story or a book, you want to compel the reader to read it, you have to convince the reader immediately, why do I want to read this? Because it's awesome. And here's here's the demonstration. So it's like, what is it about your life that is awesome, that makes it worth living and and and, and gets you, uh, the, again, what somebody said to, to me or I heard it said this way, what motivates you to get out of bed in the morning? You wake up in the morning and if you're like me, I feel like I'm resurfacing from you know, being several hundred feet under the water. It's this slow process. I know I've got to do it, but I don't really want to do it. But if I don't do it, I need to take a breath. You know, I feel like this big lumbering whale that's got to get to the surface and just would really much rather stay down where it's like, you know, the, the, the comfort of being under all that pressure, you know, the comfort of being under your blankets and the warmth, you know, and the softness, it's like being in a nest. It's not an easy thing to stop doing, right? So what motivates you to get up out of bed? We can think of a ton of stuff that may help you to think this way that doesn't motivate you to get out of bed. I got to go up and get up and go back to work. I got to get up and feed the baby. I got to get up and let the dogs out. You know, a lot of these things are things we don't want to do. But if you, you know, if you're laying there 
Like why? What? Why? What's the point? And and I think again, not going straight to values, not things like I want to get up and exercise because it makes me feel good. You know, not not specific things like that, but the general umbrella, thirty thousand foot image of why. And you know, one of these things might be I want to make a difference in the world. I want to, you know, show love to my family. I want to experience joy and contentment. Um, I want to make a difference. I probably said that already. Um, I'm really excited to work on a specific project. That sort of leads more into the values, but it's um, and 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 I think there's a major split here. So it's like, what really are you jazzed, excited? And excited is not a good word because it doesn't have to be this massive rush of energy thing. It can just it can be soft and it can be peaceful too. It can be like, oh, you know, I I think the rose bush is starting to blossom, and I can't wait to go out in a little while after my coffee and, you know, see if there's new flowers on the bush. That's going to be so cool because I've been watching it, whatever. And I think there's things about yourself, you know, that are kind of your self-interest, like what's going to make me feel good. And then there's things like family where, or your community, like what, what there, there are basically two motivators, I guess, if you want to think of these as like branches at the beginning of your why, why for you and why for everybody else. And I, I find it, you know, interesting that as much as I might want to deny one or the other or focus on me or focus on just a single individual or focus on a community um, sort of phenomenon or whatever, you know, if, if whatever it is that I'm thinking about involves many people or just one person, it's really both. I can't get away from the fact that, you know, we, yo soy yo y mi circumstancia, you know, it's like your circumstances in your world, include other people. And so that's a necessary part of your life. You know, there I'm no man is an island. There are no lone wolves, not to be used gender bias sort of phrases, but you can try to pretend that it isn't true, but we are individuals in societies. And both of these things are important. So some of our whys may have to do with things that are, you know, focused on ourselves, our individual person. And then other things about our whys are going to be focused on our families our towns, our churches, our schools, our, our, the groups of people that we associate with. And I just call that community. And I think then if we want to take the next step, so that's sort of like the, 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 the organization of the, the generality of the why. If we want to take the next logical step, it's sort of like, well, are there infinite number of whys? Like, is there, is there an infinite number of motivators that can um, drive people to want to live their lives? And, and I think there, there, there might be, but I think at the top of all that, if you interviewed however many people, you're going to find a commonality. And I think we have a lot of different ways of talking about this commonality. And one of the old ways that, we, that I always heard was enlightenment. I'm seeking enlightenment, right? Whatever that means. But that doesn't have a whole lot of, that doesn't work for me. It's, especially in, in the age of sort of uh, new age snobbery, uh, a lot of people are going to be turned off by that or woo-wooed by that, right? It's like, that's not a real thing. That's mystical. And that's not, doesn't work for me. And so that's kind of a bad word because you don't want to eliminate a certain sect of the audience. So let's boil it down. And this is the, the iterative process of boiling down the semantics or, or, or going back even further and saying, well, what do I really mean? You know, that process can take months. Our language is super complex. We don't understand the definitions. We don't really compute, communicate that well. And, but I think it's important because in this iterative process, you really start to unpack, to use a really commonly abused phrase, jargon, what you mean 
And in the why and your values at the beginning stage of this whole thing, it's critical that you really get down. And and I, and I, I can attest, the more work you do at this point, the more informed and easier the rest of the work is going to be. And so I think a lot of us will say, I want to be happy. Uh, I want to improve myself, self-improvement. I want to grow as a person, personal growth. I want to heal from past trauma. And that may be an even more specific subset. You know, I, I want to live the best life. Um, and, and what I find myself thinking, and so the, many of these things are going to resonate with you, but what do, they really, what do you mean live the best life? That implies that there's some best life out there that somebody else has that you're trying to copy at, at worst. And then at best, it implies that there's a right, there's a correct path. And I don't believe that. I think there's infinite paths, pathways to the best, they're infinite best lives. So what's the best life for you? Maybe that's it. You know, there was a guy who had a Buddhist Buddhism podcast I used to listen to, and he said, um, every day you should try to be better, a better whatever you are, whatever you already are. Don't change, just improve. And so that's, that's a key point here that I think we're all sort of talking about. Um, and, I, and I think underneath this is some desire, right? There's a, there's a com- compelling, there's something that compels us forward, kind of like getting us out of bed. There's some general, generalized feeling or emotion or state of mind that's sort of behind all that, that feels good uh, if it, it, it's asking for something. It has a need. It's an urge, right? And I'm finding myself coming back to this word a lot, urge. It's a yearning for something familiar but different. You know, like you're on a path. And I hate to use the word better because that implies some sort of like value judgment. But, you know, it's like it's the next step on whatever journey you're on. And who knows, that could be a new path or the same path. It's just what's next. And one of the words I find that's really useful to describe that feeling is curiosity. You know, you could have lots of different kinds of urges. But a curious urge, it's just doesn't have any value judgment. It's just saying, I want the next. And it's not even like I want more. It's, it's, and it could be more, but not more with a negative connotation. You see how difficult this gets? Because if you say, I want more, you could say, oh, well, you're greedy. You should be happy with what you have. It's like, no, because underlying all of this, and I've done an episode on this, is the concept of change. We are a part of a universe and one that has a fundamental rule, uh, phenomenon, characteristic, and that is things change through time, it, whatever time is. As, as things move, I even hesitate to say forward, but as they, things move along either through time or in some direction or you wake up the next day versus yesterday, you're moving, this, things change. And even if they stay the same, they're changing. Uh, in some ways, right? And so curiosity is one way to feel about this change. You know, dread is another one. There's all kinds of negative ways we could feel about getting out of bed in the morning. And surely you've had some of these when you've got up and you get up and you know you got to go fire someone that day or you've got to, you know, uh, go to court or or whatever it is that you've got to do. You're you're not going to wake up feeling motivated and curious to address your why. But that can be a strategy to help you get through those bad days. 
because it helps you shift your perspective. And we'll talk a lot about that and your awareness from this one thing, this bad thing. And instead of building it up and like, you know, latching and attaching to that and sort of spinning it off into the perpetual terribleness, uh, you can shift away from that and, and come back to this foundation of your why and your values and how this bad thing that you've got to do today may actually fit in with this and then contextualize it through time and realize that in two more days it's going to be a different day and then this day will have passed. Very useful strategies and these are sort of the tools to get you there. So I think curiosity is and change are natural elements inherent to humans that we have that belong in this space of why. Why am I? Well, because you're curious, because things change. And here's a way to deal with that. Now, there's lots of bad ways, there's some good ways, and there's some in the middle ways. What do you want to do? Well, if part of your why is improvement or whatever we want to call this, and I'll I'll get to that next, then maybe this works for you. And so let's go ahead and get to the next. I come back to the Buddhist word suffering. And that, you know, life is suffering. And, and, and I don't know whether you believe that. I don't even know whether I believe that. But I think the point of that that I find universally meaningful is that life is not easy. Life does not meet your expectations. Life does not unfold at all, um, except when you get into manifestation, maybe, for you. Life happens because it's so, there's 7, 8 billion people that it's happening to, plus all the organisms, um, they have nothing to do with you. And so, you know, part of that is not going to be good. And part of that is going to be good. But for whatever reason, probably in the context of our evolution and natural selective forces that have affected the way our brains work, we're going to identify, <clears throat> we're going to identify more with sort of the dangerous stuff. And that's also the negative stuff. And so, if something good happens, it kind of happens and, and we go on with it and it's great, whatever, but it's fleeting. If something bad happens, we have to, you know, uh, uh, organize that into part of our being because what if it happens again? There's a safety issue and there's, you know, there's a, there's a life-threatening thing going on. And so what I've read and what I've heard is that the human brain is sort of more tuned to, to grasp onto the negative stuff. And so I think the Buddhists were talking about the state of mind that um, what I like to say is dissatisfied. We find ourselves in moments of dissatisfaction. I, I, I mean, and, and, you, and you know what this is like, because it's like when you, you're really hungry and you get a pizza and you have that first pizza pizza and it's like, wow, I am so satisfied. But you're not quite full yet. And so you have a second piece of pizza and the second piece of pizza isn't really that is good. And then maybe if you're like me, you have a third piece of pizza and then now you're super uncomfortable and you wish you could go back to being hungry and do it all over again, but it's too late. It's that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's, this, it's this mismatch of um, other kinds of urges, more primal urges like hunger or sexual behavior or fulfillment, uh, and then sort of just it not ever doing what it needs to do on the long term. It's fleeting, right? I mean, these, we, we, it's like a dopamine hit. You, you f- want to check your phone because you hope you have some message that's meaningful. You check it and you don't. And you scroll for 30 minutes and you put it down. You don't feel any better and you do it again. You want that hit again. You know, you, it's this relationship that we have to the, to the events that unfold in our lives about expectations. And so that's a big part of it. Um, 
we want something to happen and, and it doesn't, or it does, either way, it's going to let us down because we have to move on to the next phase. So what the Buddhists called suffering, I don't think of as like, I've been getting beaten my whole life, or I've never gotten a job, or I'm broken, homeless on the street. It's not that kind of suffering. I look at it more as a lack of satisfaction. It's not so much the, what I have, it's what I don't have. you know. And this is how I prefer to look at the whole idea of suffering. I mean, to cut to the chase, what I want, what I think I want is what I call contentment, peace, and calm. And what that really is, is a lack of strife, right? It's a lack of um, unmet urges. It's a lack of restlessness. It's a lack of this feeling that I need to do something, like check my phone, or wash the dishes, or go to work, or feed the chickens. It's a lack of that. It's a trust that, you know what? Whether or not I'm cued to do all the stupid stuff in my life that I've got to do every day, brush my teeth, take a shower, go to the bathroom, eat. It's a trust that you're going to do that anyway, right? If you just chill out about it, and this is, and this is uniquely, I think, people who are analytic, scientific, pragmatic, practical, um, we suffer from this because we think we have to plan everything out and be aware of everything and sort of like micromanage our lives so that we, in my case, so we don't screw up. But for other people, maybe so you're maximizing your success or whatever. And in truth, there's a lot of those things that can happen on autopilot. But that's really not my point because it's, it's even if all of our daily duties are met and we finally have a chance at rest. And I did an episode on this. One of my first episodes was a quiet and distraction. It's the same idea. Even when we have an opportunity for contentment, peace, and calm, we don't know what to do with it. We still are stuck with these urges, this unmet need that I have to figure out a way to, to fulfill. And this could be unique to me or unique to people with these analytical thinking, but I think about it when I used to smoke. I really wanted cigarettes. All I wanted was a cigarette and have a cigarette, and it didn't do anything. Maybe there was seconds of contentment, peace, and calm, but then it wore off immediately and I wanted another one. I used to say, all these things make me want to do is more. And that is, in effect, an addiction, which I would argue we have with our phones and a lot of the other things and money and, and things in our lives, lives because they don't actually do what we think they're going to do. And, and, and that's a bigger why problem. Why do we think we're going to do those in the first place? That's not what we really want. What we want is to be able to enjoy our vacation the day we get on vacation. Have you ever noticed that you go on a week vacation if you're lucky enough, and I'm extremely lucky to have been able to take a one-week vacation pretty much every year for maybe the last 10 years. I always wanted to take a two-week vacation, but anyway, uh, we always want what we don't have. We always want more. It's about day five before I'm finally like, ah, oh, finally, I, I can relax. I can enjoy this. I'm not like distracted by all these things. All this like noise has gone away in my life. And then you got to turn around and think about going home and packing up and getting ready and all that stuff. Why does it? Why? Why is that? And that really is a good summary in a nutshell of this dilemma of these urges for something undefined that we can't ever meet. And so the real solution is not to continually try to meet the urges. It's to get rid of them. It's to figure out what, why am I doing this? And me personally, I've done this over the last year of my life where I've given up a lot of the things. I've, you know, re, uh, I gave up alcohol for a while and I've sort of taken it back in a much reduced state just to see if I have mastery over that element of my life. I gave up nicotine. 
Uh, I'm try, trying to reduce my phone usage. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a lot. And, that, and that's kind of what I'm going to talk about in episode 77 on is sort of the how-tos. But, but more generally first, like what's the point in doing all that? And part of it is this self-mastery thing, right? Can you, and, and part of our why, you know, you could sit there and say, why do I do this? And, and I don't think that's necessarily the solution. You have to do that work first to understand what's going on. Why do I perpetually check my phone? Why am I unable to control certain things? Some things in my life I can control. I can control alcohol. I can control nicotine now. I can pr- control food in my life. Um, but I don't have much control over my phone. And I've done all kinds of things to trick myself into using my phone less, but I still go back to do it because... And it's all underlying all of this behavior is the same thing. It's a lack of satisfaction, the need to fulfill an urge that doesn't work, but I think it works. And so I just keep spinning and repeating it, right? Um, and then so, again, one could ask, why am I like that? And, and I do to a certain extent, but really what I'm more interested in, in is kind of like the, the, the what do I want my why to be about. I want to redefine it. And so I've got to figure out some of these other things first. And and sort of my why is I want to be the best person that I can given the life that I have. I've only, you know, I, somewhere around midlife when I had started needing readers to see anything from four feet in front of me, I realized I was going to die. And so this death as an advisor has really sort of motivated me to do the things that I want to do in the time that I have left. It's funny how you, I wish I was like that when I was 17, but I just wasn't. I wasn't, I thought I was immortal. Anyway, the, the idea is that um, when I look back, I'd like to think that I, I, I did a pretty good job at being a human. I, I, I nurtured and cherished the gifts that I was given in a way that shows respect for, in, 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 um, in equal parts to the, 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 the strength of that gift, right? That I took care of it, that I nurtured it, that I appreciated it, and that I did a, I don't want to say a good job, but, and that I really like wore it out. Now, not even like I wore it out, because I'm not talking about like living an extreme life. I'm just saying, you know, I'd like to figure out how to be better at it and, if, and how to reach this, spend more time in this state of contentment, calm, and peace to as much as, as I can, realizing that shit happens and life is real. And it's not always going to be like that. But in the opportunities and the moments that I'm given to do that, can I actually do it? Well, I found out that I can't, and I want to beat that. You know, it's like if you go out and play football with the guys or whatever, and you realize everybody else runs faster than you, that may motivate you to want to figure out how to get better at running. You know, this, um, this, this the struggles that I've had in my life and I've watched other people have in their lives, which are so just rampant today, uh, Make me want to change that for myself. And then hopefully, maybe one day, share that information. And part of what I'm going to do in the next 30 episodes or whatever, maybe help you or help other people or at least plant a seed um, uh, of familiarity or I can do this or whatever. It's like Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. just wrote a book that's something like The Mastery of Self. And you see this all the time. Neil Bjorklund, the guy that I, that I get coaching from, who was in an upcoming interview you know he's a life coach. You know he coaches people. He uh, he 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 and his and his website addresses something like self mastery. I mean this this I think those two words together encapsulate this idea. It's like can you be a master of yourself? And and I don't mean master in the legitimate. I've figured it all out and I'm done. It's more like 
I'm trying to be. I'm on the path toward self-mastery, you know. Whatever that looks like, I'll never know. It doesn't matter. But I'm, tr- I'm shooting for that. And, th- and something about that is also part of the why, right? <laughs> is to learn to, 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 to enjoy the journey and, and not the destination and all, all of these other things. Um, so it's like, can we master ourselves in the environments that we live in? And part of this at the bigger level, not just for self-satisfaction, there's a much bigger thing going on here. And that is, and I'll try to be brief, I've already gone really long this episode, is related to my um, uniqueness imperative idea that we are our DNA and our jobs as people is to express that DNA as fully as possible because in it is this unique combination of things that's going to be a contribution to the world. And if we deny that and we don't live more in our ours and less in our shoulds, then we're really not realizing our potential as people and we're not mastering our species. And I think what we have right now in time is this um, disjunct of... The human body and brain has been through hundreds of thousands of years, well, many, you know, millions of years if you if you don't if you think outside just primates, but at least a couple hundred thousand years as mostly what we are now. That's a lot of time, and there's been a lot of selection pressures on us, and a lot of that, most of it in the last twenty, thirty, fifty thousand years, has been up here. So that's what distinguishes us from all the other animals is this evolution of our brains. So now it's almost like we're, uh, we're over-armed, uh, and, and it's almost embarrassing, like Keystone Cops-ish. We have these amazing brains in this world that we no longer have the same sort of um, wants, needs, and, and pressures, and, and, and fears, and, um, and risks, and danger that we used to have. You know, it's a different world. Since the Industrial Revolution, it has dramatically changed the world that we face every day. And one of the biggest changes is the number of other people that are here. You know, if you look back at something like in 1900, there was 2 billion people in the world, or 1800. Not that long ago, there was 2 billion people in the world. Now there's almost 8 billion people in the world. So that's a huge difference. And then all the technology and the, uh, the cushiness, you know, we don't have to worry. We can live in a house and the temperature stays the same all year round and we don't really have to go anywhere and we can be lazy. All that has changed. But our brains, our, our, our bodies and our environments, the way we behave in our environments haven't caught up. We haven't, we haven't made the shift of using our brains in this new environment. Our brains are still trying to work in this old environment. And you may have heard a lot of this stuff from psychological studies that say things like anxiety is because we're still looking out for danger. You know, we're looking out for the uh, the wolves that are going to steal our food or the, the lions that are going to eat us while we sleep. We're looking out for all these dangers in, in the world all the time that aren't there. And so that disjunct of that energy without the actual target makes us scared all the time. Um, whereas before, we were scared for a reason. Now we're scared for no reason. And so that kind of thing is what I'm talking about. How do we resolve? How do we shift that our brains and convince them of the new world that we live in. And I think it's fascinating to think that there could be such a time lag, right? I mean, our brains like went so fast and got so good. And then the rest of the world is just sort of like, uh, so there's this, (laughs) like we're equal parts, amazing and equal parts, like, uh, not deserving of it or something like that. And and that's what I'm talking about. Like can we can we can we fuse that together? Because ultimately the reason I care about any of this and why why I think it matters and why I think it makes perfect sense is that that's how we're going to solve things. That's how we're going to live better. You know, you look around and there's no shortage of issues you could pick on that are less than satisfactory. 
wars, toxic masculinity, me too, racism, you know, power struggles, income inequality, anxiety, depression, uh, gun sh- murder, suicide. All these things are bad, right? They're all you, all these things you could lump into like, well, that's, you know, those aren't satisfying things. Those don't represent contentment, calm, and peace. Those don't represent self-mastery. Those don't re- represent living your highest, best life. Those are all crappy things. And, and, and maybe that's part of suffering. But I think these things are extreme. You know, we're going to have suffering, but it doesn't have to be like widespread, massive, um, you know, suffering like that. And so I don't think it's that hard to make an argument without being sort of like dystopian or doom scrolling to say that there's a lot of things that are need to be changed in the world. And I think by mastering ourselves and, and allowing our brains to sort of catch up to the context of what we're do, dealing with, we can so easily solve these problems. Uh, and I think that's what we're supposed to do, right? And so oh, that's the big why, <laughs> right? Why do we care? Because we need to do better as, as a people and as individuals. And, and, and only because we can, not because we're bad, but just because we can. We have the machinery. We have the opportunity. We're, I mean, that's part of the oh, bigger purpose you know, is to leave the world a better place and, and to, I don't know. And if you and, and you don't have to believe that, and maybe that's not true, but I think for anybody watching this and anybody interested in personal growth, you know, that's the idea. And so I think I'm, I, may, I may have to, I'll, I'll definitely spend more time on the why, and I hope, but I hope I've demonstrated enough of the what is the why and then maybe part of the early stages of the next few episodes is going to be how do you sit down and figure that out? Because that's definitely got to be um, happen either coincident with or before you sit down and figure out your values. And that's uh, one of the first steps. And so I'm going to spend the next week before the next episode sort of figuring out the order. And I'm probably not going to get it right. But like I said, over the next however many episodes, I'll try my best to go through all of the things that I think help um, us live uh, um, our best lives and sort of work towards this goal of, 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 um, of resolving the cognitive dissonance, dissonance in the power of the human brain and body and spirit and all of the, that stuff in a big package with the, the expedited evolution that's happened in the last 2,000 years. Let's, help us catch up. This has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, Episode 76, Why Am I? I'm Chris Bircher. Thank you for your time, your curiosity, and your attention. And uh, I'll see you next week. Take it easy.